Hi there, Matthew Parsons. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thanks. What can I do for you? What is Ghost Echoes? Ghost Echoes is a music history podcast with secret rules. Rule number one is... And then rule number two states that... And rule number three is that I'm not allowed to tell the listeners what the first two rules are. If you want to figure it out, you're going to have to subscribe to Ghost Echoes wherever you get podcasts. Hey, I'm Jen, and I love horror movies. I'm Mikey. I'm dead inside, and I also love horror movies. And we really like to torture our friend Todd, because he hates horror movies. That I do. And that's why they call me the horror virgin. <laughs> that's the only reason we call him that. Yes. I'm not, no other reasons at all. <laughs> you Whatever. So every, <laughs> every week, we take him through the encyclopedia of horror, the good, the bad, the ridiculously Jack Frosts. <laughs> and then we make fun of it, more or less. Or explain its deceptive feminism. Oh. Yeah, exactly. That's what I do. That's my thing. <laughs> and I'm the funny one. <laughs> Our episodes drop on Monday, so check us out. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. My name is Rockin' Randall Colburn. Who's sitting across from me? This is Michael Stu Redman Rothman. We'll get to why that's your name yeah. uh, in a moment. And who's joining us from across the phone lines? This is Jen Franny Adams, if we're going with the stand. <laughs> then nice. I'm uh, uh, Randall Andros Colburn. Ah, nice. Uh, excuse me, I need to take a sip of my flu buddy here. Yeah. Uh, we're in the midst of uh, a global pandemic, the likes of which we have never seen since uh, we read the stand. Yeah. Just kidding. We know you guys don't like it when we talk about coronavirus, but we're going to do it anyways because it's kind of relevant. Uh, where are we all relevant. at with, the, with, with coronavirus these days? Well, uh, as we were t- discussing right before we pushed record on this episode, literally about three minutes ago, and I'm going to repeat exactly what I said. Say it. Uh, I was at a coffee shop today, and it literally felt like uh, the beginning of the stand when Stu's hanging out with his pals at the gas station, and yeah. everyone's just talking about you know shooting the shit, and then the crap starts happening. Um, it was just like hanging out in this outpost, and everyone just kind of talking about the virus itself and it just felt very like a calm before the storm like that scene yeah. for me um and it really kind of spooked me uh, yeah. in a way and, and i haven't really been too anxious or scared about any of this yet but it just feels like a lot of the imagery that we read and saw in the miniseries seems to be kind of coming to life in weird ways even if the virus itself isn't as devastating as captain trips yeah thank god um it's it's okay it's only going to kill our parents and grandparents exactly and that's what's kind of scary you know <laughs> yeah and i say kind of because yeah. I'm, i just want to make sure that it doesn't happen so i was uh in an arcade and i was on the phone with a waitress friend of mine in la i was talking about how my new single uh, is number one on vh1 and as I was walking out, I bumped into this guy and oh. it was a little bit weird. Like there's been all this talk about kind of, you know, 
quarantines and stuff and i bumped into this guy and uh he called himself the rat man oh. and he and i said i'm sorry i hit you and he said the rat man forgive you this time, this time. and you know what i thought i thought this guy you gotta quarantine him <laughs> well you gotta quarantine anyone with rat in the title That's i know rats spread diseases it's funny that you called your friend from la because i also called my friend from la and she was waitressing and she said it's getting really scary out here mike <laughs> Thanks for filling in the gap in my joke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Jen, what's your coronavirus update? Or should we say Captain Tripp's update? Oh, yeah. Well, so I'm from Na- I'm in Nashville right now. And it was funny. I was walking to uh, work today, and I saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar walking down the street. And he had this big bell and a sandwich board. And he was just yelling, and it really freaked me out. <laughs> that would be kind of scary, too. Did, did he yeah. happen to uh, be, uh, you know, in a, in a weird garb or robe or something like that? that, you know, that seems... He was, yeah. It was like he was a monk, but, like, not exactly a monk. And then when I was leaving work, he was just laying on the sidewalk. Oh God, so, that's awful. I know. It, it well, at awful. least I think it's okay, but you know. Well, at least he didn't grab you and shake you and say he's coming for you, Jen. That's true. <laughs> or, or, or or grab you and be like, read my latest op-ed in the Hollywood Reporter. <laughs> hey, Kareem writes some good stuff about The Bachelor. He does the Bachelor franchise, which oh, really? my, which Mike and I both watch. Yes, we we do. And uh, last night's episode was uh, ah. as devastating as uh, Captain Trips. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but we, we get uh, Barb, uh, who is uh, mother of the year. Yeah. Uh, on the, and uh, I, I, we don't need to go too far down the batch cast. Ba- batch cast. <laughs> um, but let's just say that if, uh, if, if Pete was a character uh, in the stand, uh, he'd be. Um, I, I thought you knew where Harold you were going Lauder. here. He's, go- he's Harold? I'm yeah, going Harold. I, go I was that. thinking about for a second. I was like, His mom is Randall Flagg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I need to watch this season. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And uh just for the for the zero point one or point zero one percent of our audience that enjoyed our con- our bachelor conversation, <laughs> thank you for that. Um so that's the Captain Trips update for this week. We'll probably have more in the future. Uh but before uh we get talking about the outsider, uh which is we're gonna talk about the final episodes in the back half of the season today. Um I do want to just prepare you for next week. We are going to be reviewing it's a book episode on a little book called Gerald's Game. A little book. Little book. It's a teensy little little book. Just mm-hmm. kidding, it's not it's not that teensy, <laughs> but compared um, to needful things, it is. Yeah, compared to needful things. So, um, if you haven't begun your reread, uh, get going now. And hey, maybe you'll finish by next week, and then we'll follow that up with um with an episode all about Mike Flanagan's film. And which, Jen is uh, going to be on the book episode. Yeah, for for this very one. very exciting to have so. you on that. And uh, so that's something to look forward to. And then also, just while you're here, uh, I think we'd really like to hear some nice things from you guys. Like, and we've got <laughs> we've actually received a few really great reviews. Oh, that's uh, nice. Which has been awesome. Yeah. Um, really enjoyed reading a few of them when I woke up this morning. I woke up at like five in the morning. Um, it must have been from my awful nightmare. Um, I, I just what had was it this, about? Yeah. this man in the cornfield. <laughs> <that just> kept... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. so, I know where I'm going. Nightmare. Did you really? <laughs> oh, weird. Because I've, I've been I, seeing I this. The woman thing. <laughs> Uh, oh, what did you? What, what, Weird! What, I just what, dreamed. I had to dream a hamburger was eating me. <laughs> oh God! Um, so. <laughs> So yeah, so we got some nice reviews. We put out a call. We'd love to get some more iTunes reviews from you guys. Uh, only five stars, nothing less. Um, so, but we'd love to get get that. Uh, so please leave us a review uh, wherever you listen to us. We would appreciate it. And also follow us on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, fresh content, all fresh. of them. Yeah, fresh stuff. And if you haven't listened to our episode on the first 
uh, half of the outsider. Uh, what go back like a month, month and a half? Yeah, this same trio was on that talking about that. That was kind of our, our return episode. It was a return episode after we took our little hiatus there. So today, yeah, we're going to talk about the back half of the season. It ended last Sunday. You guys are listening to this on Friday. So, um, so the outsider's over. We've all had time to process it. And I think um, a good place to start is to, uh, I guess, like, let's refresh everyone on where we sat with the first couple episodes first. So um, for me personally, I was very taken with this show right from the start. Uh, But what I think was striking about it was how much it felt like a Richard Price show rather than a Stephen King show, even though the, and I have a piece that went live. You guys listened to that on Friday, went up yesterday on the AV club. I wrote about the... Uh, kind of it's what a feature we do called page to screen where it's basically like what are the differences between the book and the movie but you know having an actual point of view not just saying this is different this is different like what was good and what wasn't and I think that what's really striking to me is how reverent the series really was to the book mm-hmm. ultimately yeah. but how much how mm-hmm. little it felt like a Stephen King story in a lot of ways um, and I think that has to do a lot with the aesthetic of Richard Price who's the creator he also created the Night of on HBO miniseries from a few years ago this had the same tonal palette in a lot of ways and the same color palette and he also was a writer on The Wire and um, he's God, he wrote like the color of money, right? Like he's written a million. Oh, he's it's huge gone, things it's gone bunch, bunch back all the way to the seventies. It's kind of wild. How yeah, the guy's incredible. Is. Although you know, it's funny. Books, so on our on our first episode, we pointed out that like Richard Price had never really done any supernatural stuff. Yeah, and that, that was something I actually had kind of really um, you know capitalized on in my review for Consequence of Sound. And someone pointed out that actually one of his short stories from the late seventies. I should have looked at the title again, but it's one of his short stories actually deals with um, quasi-supernatural elements, yeah. which Ooh. I still think I'm fair in saying that he doesn't really dabble in the supernatural Right, much, that was, it know? was one of his earliest things from what I could gather, because I did some research into that as well, and he... Um, yeah, it's 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 definitely supernatural, but it's not something. It's not like a horror story. No, yeah, no, no. And so, um, but I think that was the really interesting aspect was it felt a lot more like a crime show than a horror show, which yeah. makes sense because the first half of the book is much more of a crime show or a crime book than a horror book. And so that really worked. But I think our concern was like, well, is he going to be able to uh, be able to evolve with the horror as it goes yeah. on? So how yeah. did you feel about it, Mike? Like so those first few episodes. Those first few episodes, I absolutely adored. I I thought that this was probably um easy to say but i think it's legit peak king in yeah. a way where you're you're able to see something that was not only just elevating the source material because i've heard a lot of you know differing opinions about the outsider nothing really too glowing though i've never really met anyone that's actually i never really met it the book's been out for less than two fucking years but <laughs> i haven't met anyone yet since it's publishing a date that you know any fan that like really loved the outside. Where they're like, it's top They're like, oh three. my, you know, top five king. Um, it's The but, Shining. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> Salem's Lot. And then it's definitely The Outsider. Definitely The Outsider. <laughs> no, for me, it was, I've always heard about how it starts strong and it kind of fizzles out a yeah. little bit. And, um, you know, I, I think with these first few episodes, what the, the, the degree of quality that was in, especially the first two episodes, because the first two episodes, I feel like Richard Price really knows how to pack a punch when he's getting you in. Um, as he did with the night of, which I think the first episode is just incredible. Yeah. Uh, one of the best first episodes of any limited series or any TV event ever. Um, and he does, he brings that kind of energy to this. And I think that, you know, I don't, 
I don't want to go into the, the back half yet. But so the first half, I was just all in. I was yeah. really all in. I really liked the 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 sort of cerebral um, meditations that were uh, weaved in there through Price's own sort of background with crime writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminded me of like the first season of True Detective, except yeah. it was actually indulging the supernatural. And that was the hook for me. It yeah. was like, all right, I'm in. Um, so, I mean, we got the first six screeners way b- before the actual premiere. Yeah. Um, I think I killed like four episodes one night and two the next. That's yeah. how invested I, I was in. Well. Um, uh, how about you, Jen? Um, well, so when we recorded, I had only watched three and, but I was with you guys. I was loving it. Um, I was really hooked in. Now at first I was shocked by how fast they were going through the source material. Cause the first two episodes are like half of the book. Yeah, and so I was true. thinking, where are they going to go? And what I really loved about it was the ways they were departing from the book. I loved that. I, I hate to say I loved that Ralph's son was dead in the book, but I liked that change. I feel like it added depth to the character and like kind of made the story richer. And I loved that they were um, giving Holly a little more mm-hmm. of a like character. Um, and so that's what I was really excited about because I did, I love the first half of that book and like the second half. And so I wasn't like jumping up and down to watch this, but I was hooked in almost immediately. I have a question when this was first announced, you know, cause this came out, I, I want to say the show was uh, confirmed and announced and like put into pre-production Very soon after, it like came maybe out. four or five months after it yeah. was originally on shelves. Were you, I mean, I was pretty much invested more in the series than I was even in the premise of the book specifically because of Richard Price being involved. That was a huge get because yeah. I'm a hu- I'm a big fan obviously from The Wire then also The Night of and it just seems such like such a good fit. And also like Mel said when we talked about the book when it first came out cuz Mel and I were the ones who read it on the pod. Uh Mel was like I think this would make a great. She didn't love the book, but she's like I think this would make a really great limited series and so that's what they announced it as on HBO with Richard Price yeah. and Jason Bateman. It's like it's just that's good talent. Yeah. And so I felt like my hopes were high from like moment one. And I mean, and the thing is like, I think I'll ultimately say like, like we have our quibbles with it, but I ultimately think this was, you know, really excellent, like from top to bottom. Yeah. And it, it kind of, it mostly lived up to what I expected from that group of names. Uh, Jen, were you familiar with Richard Price at all? I really wasn't. I learned a lot about him in that first episode that we recorded actually, <laughs> but I was watching Ozark when this was announced. And mm, so I, yeah. and I love Jason Bateman. So that was the hook for me, but I was not super excited. I think I learned uh, with the Carrie remake to not get my hopes up about Stephen King adaptation. <laughs> yeah. So I always kind of like hedge my bets, you know, that does suck. The Carrie remake. I know. And that's in looking back, oh. it's, it, it came at such a weird, like it came at such a weird time for King because he actually, he was publishing some of his best stuff around that time yeah you know like he was mm-hmm. only like a year or two removed from 11 63 so right. he's kind of running off of that and yet this thing i just remember carrie coming out and being like why you know and th- and that's what's so different about now about like when i see see things because i feel like we have seen some sort of elevated uh content and adaptations and i would definitely still put this one in there you know yeah. i'm not as as i don't think mm-hmm. i was as high as the back half um, as you are, but I, I think we're both agree. I mean, we both agree on like the seasonal, the overall season grade. But, like yeah. for me, it was more of like the, the sort of energy and thrill the, the factor that I had in those first few episodes. I ultimately just didn't feel that by the end of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt as if, yep. well, yep, this is where the story was going to go. I wasn't 
particularly surprised. Mm. Nothing was really, you know, there wasn't much of a revelation, but I wasn't exactly disappointed. Like, it's a weird feeling. It's like I we've talked about this in the podcast where it's almost it's sometimes it's almost worse to just be good. And, 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 or like average, because mm-hmm. yeah. I felt like the ending for me, our last three episodes was average, at least comparison, at least in comparison to like the first few episodes. And so it's almost like you have less to say when it's not awful and it's not mm-hmm. great. It's just well, there. And I that's kind I of can, where I'm at. I right think now. I can sort of articulate that feeling for you because it's something I've been thinking about a lot, which is crime stories really thrive on like the whodunit aspect. Exactly. Yeah. And in mm-hmm. here, like the whole hook is that well, we know who did it. Ah, but we don't, but we do. Like, the whole thing is that, okay, it wasn't Terry, even though all the evidence is there. So, but then Mm -hmm. we kind of start to learn that that it was a shape-shifting creature by the fourth or fifth episode. Yeah. Because um, Holly starts to, you know, really start to crack that nut. And then we spend, like, several episodes learning about like the how yeah. and the backstory mm-hmm. and it's but what we're seeing essentially yeah. was with Heath Hofstetter's story and then with the woman who came before him we're learning about all those things but it's just the same story you exactly know? and so yeah. mm-hmm. so it's like the whodunit aspect is gone yeah. like it's like we figure out yeah. we, we know who the killer was by halfway through like when we say who the killer was like we know it was this creature and there's mystery mm-hmm. surrounding the creature to a degree but not that much there isn't and, and I, so and once I, we get to the end the creature is the creature and it's like that in the book too um yeah, yeah. and and i've I'm, and my girlfriend's read the book and she told me literally play by play of everything that happens in comparison to the show and you know after hearing that and she would agree like the show absolutely upgraded the book i think um, so and, Ultimately. And, like i i think that you know i know that there's supposed to be a character um a, a mother a maternal character of um the, of claude, of claude. Yeah. and i uh, she was saying that the brother is a much better upgrade than that i like the brother more um yeah. and even just kind of the way that they finessed into the K's and um, they gave, like you were saying, Jen, like I, I do think that they also gave Holly a little bit more of an arc. Oh yeah. Um, even mm-hmm. if some people might frown upon it being like a, you know, a love story or something like that. With I that love aspect, that. But story. I love that. <laughs> I, I did too. That was I, my favorite part. I, yeah, I thought well, he was such a cool yeah. character. And like, so, but, but ultimately like, and I want to say like, I felt almost the same way as I did with true detective. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you look back at that season, I still argue to this day that the show never got better than it did with that one shot take of McConaughey oh, running incredible. around with the, the drug thing. I don't think that they ever were able to achieve that 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 level of of entertainment. And that, but that's fine too because it ended with a great you know great ending. It was you know it was I do wish they would have found a little bit more in the headquarters of the Yellow King. But <laughs> at the same time, like it's 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 almost crazy how similar these two seasons are. Because at the end of that, they go into the catacombs of True Detective. They go to the you know the the caves catacombs here mm-hmm. at the end of The Outsider, and I really did feel the same way at the end of that season as I did with this one, where you know um, it it just was it just ended, and I and I well, and I, I, I got it. They like, build up you know. such a formidable villain, yeah, or a mythic yeah. villain. You know, the myth is huge here, yeah, and. Uh, and then for it to be bested so easily, although, and we'll yeah. talk later about how is it really gone? You mm-hmm. know, there's the tag on the end of the episode, which we'll talk more about at the end. But, um, but I know what you mean, and I think that there is sort of a deflating aspect, which is that you know the great 
the great villain was just them, or it's like, you know, the real challenge was them getting gunned down by Jack, mm-hmm. you know, like that's where, right. and then after that, it was just this confrontation. And I'll say this, the confrontation in the show is a lot better than it is in the book because mm-hmm. um, in the book, like El Cuco just sort like, it's like he's a Bond villain. He just starts like yeah. unpacking everything. Which I didn't want that. And, yeah, and it's and a little I de- weird. And I definitely yeah. didn't want like monstrous changes. I didn't want any special effects. I didn't want any like monster movie shit that, 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 that they could have easily done, you know, where they, they yeah. show him in his like primordial form. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't want any of that. So I, I did like the restraint that they had there, but you're right there. It's just, it just felt like, like we already know everything. And this was already taking us to where it is. And there wasn't, and it wasn't like they could kind of lean on any like real devastating deaths either. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, like it's, 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 I almost, would disagree with that, but well, like, we'll I mean, I guess like the big one is, you know, is like what Bill Camp or something like, and well, I think it's more, I think it's the cumulative death, you know, of it's just everything the, that for happened. me, it's like, it's losing Alec, it's losing Howard, it's losing Andy in the car, like, mm-hmm. um, and then it's also losing uh, the way Jack goes, I think is, is more resonant, at least than it is in the book. Um, I think it's like, it's the, the cumulative death, which, and this is a huge thing that once we talk about what we liked, ultimately, I want to talk more about, but it's, I, I think like my, my tag, and this is sort of the lead for my piece on AV Club, which is like Richard Price, I think made the outsider better by with more death, more grief, like, which is mm-hmm. kind of funny, like, because it's already loaded with it. Like it the is, book is all yeah. about grief and Richard Price, mm-hmm. like layered in more death. And like Jen, you mentioned his son being dead and we'll talk more about that in a bit, but I want to hear from you. Like, where did you struggle with this? Well, I think I struggled with it in the same place that I struggled in the book. There's a turning point and, and, I think I've been thinking about this a lot because we recently did an episode on Hush, mm-hmm. um, which is a Mike Flanagan movie that I love. It's on Netflix and everyone should watch it. But so when I was doing research on that for our episode, I found a quote that he had that said, because in that movie, he doesn't give very many details about the killer. And he was saying the answer or the question is always going to be scarier than the answer. Yep. And I was watching this and it was like, and I think that's the flaw in the source material too. It's like the question here is so good and it had immediately hooked my husband in. And then as soon as he realized it was going to be supernatural, he was out. Mm. He was like, I don't, that, that it all, it doesn't, it's not cheating, but it just, I just don't feel like there was an answer that would have satisfied me the way the question did, you know? And so once you get that turn and we start learning more about the monster and I'm not one of those people that hates when we learn about the killers or anything like that. But I just think when you've got such a good question, like it just was never going to satisfy me a hundred percent. Right. But I did end up, I liked it. I think I, I don't know. It might be a little too soon for me because there were some things that I was really looking forward to seeing that it feels like the show just abandoned and so I feel a little bit let down about that and that might be kind of coloring the way I look at the finale because I just wanted so much more because I feel like that was promised in the beginning Mm. did when when your husband um discovered the supernatural stuff um and you were like no no it's still good did he like just go outside and light a cigarette like Ralph (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you. Just wandered off into the woods. I can tell you were setting up a joke, but I didn't know yeah. what it was. No, no. I just, I just think it's so like the idea of like rejecting because of the supernatural is so it's almost meta, yeah, in a way, yeah. Because um, that's that's actually that was my favorite part of the show was was Ralph's arc of like coming around to you know to to believing and and getting on Holly's side, and I actually felt that the show faltered 
in that respect because they I, I just felt like it was some of the more clumsier aspects of the writing in the season. And, and it's surprisingly was actually when Dennis Lehane, I think was writing a lot of the scripts, but, um, or at least the two scripts, I think it was like maybe seven or eight. Um, and it, I just remember like one scene where like, he's, he's literally outside with his partner. His partner's like, you gotta get on the fucking same page here. Yeah. And then he goes inside and then his wife gives him the speech. And then Holly comes out. It's like, what are you kidding me? You're not on board. It's like, how many times <laughs> are we going to listen to this fucking speech again? Like, like you had this great moment where he's talking to his partner and you had that sort of silent uh, meditation with him. And it was just a visual element that you can see him going through the motions with this. And he even talks to it with his fucking therapist. Like you already have the, 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 the gear is working. Like you don't need the two other people to say the same exact things. And that for me was when I was like, Ooh, are they leaning a little too hard into the source material or what? Like, well, let me, this just felt like a faltering of like Price's precision there. I actually you know? want to, this is to me one of the more interesting things. And this is a lot of what about the, a lot of what my essay is about because um, that's the hardest thing, right? Is how do you like convince somebody to believe in things that are beyond their realm of perception? Yeah. And the book is a lot about that in the sense that like, Ralph has these moments where he's like, I want to believe, but I can't, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and the thing is, he's not as hard, hard edged in the book as he is in the show. He's more, he allows sort of like himself to be shaped a little bit more than he does on the show. And I'll talk about why in a minute, but it's still like when they're going into the cave to see El Cuco, like in the book, Holly literally says to him, she's just like, I know, like she basically says some version of like, I know you're not fully there yet, but I need you right now to believe in this because otherwise we are not going to come out of your life. She's like, I need you to believe. She like forces him to. And that's ultimately what it takes is to face it person to person and actually Mm -hmm. see it. But notice that I think what, and Jen, you had mentioned like Ralph's son being dead. That to me is the linchpin of everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not in the book, mm-hmm. which blows my mind. Yeah, and I, I reread the book over the last couple of weeks uh, for this piece. And the book is, is it actually reads quicker than I remembered. It's, it's a pretty brisk read. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's pretty good. But the thing is like, and we've talked about this in the pot a lot. King can write really great protagonists, right? Like ev- all the kids in it, uh, Annie Wilkes, like, uh, um, uh, what's uh, Jack Torrance? Like these are yeah. great King characters that lead mm-hmm. books. Like even even um, Paul Sheldon in Misery is a great yeah. narrator. These are guys who have a lot of depth. Mm-hmm. But King, even from his earliest days, was guilty of the boilerplate protagonist, yes. which is like yep. Ben Ben Mears like from ben Salem's Mears. Lot. Yeah, yeah. God, just ben a Mears. boring yeah. a boring character. Uh, but even like great books like Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three, like Jake is not the most interesting character in that book. And no. uh, even Under the Dome, who remembers Barbie? You remember everyone else, know. you know. But those are great uh-huh. books, and so. I think what's so, and but the thing is, Ralph is like that. He's one of he's a boilerplate character in the book. He is mm-hmm. he's likable. He's fun to be around, uh, and he has you know it's like his marriage with Jeannie is probably the best part, but mainly because it's like they have a good marriage and it's like kind of sweet to see them together. It's actually a lot more troubled in the series because of the fact that Derek is dead. Derek's just away at summer camp in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and the fact that he's dead in the show, it's funny because when I watched it, I was shocked to remember that his son was still alive in the book because it seems like such a natural thing for mm-hmm. his son to be dead in 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 the in like this story because well, yeah. if the show is so much about grief and if the monster they're dealing with is a grief eater like it actually consumes that and it spawns grief it's like 
So, of course, you would want your main character to have grief that he yeah. carries with him. And Ralph does not have that in the book. No. And so he's the fact that you've got Mendelssohn, who I think does a lot of heavy lifting. I agree. Like yeah. in this series, because he's so good. Well, he says so much mm-hmm. with his facial expressions. Right. And, and that's what you, you need. Yep. But you get those like simple scenes of him in his kid's bedroom and grief. Uh-huh. And, and then you see the way he struggled with grief right after he died, which was drinking, bar fights, fighting with Jeannie, really intense, like grieving and he was able to you know focus on work focus on his marriage and focus on good things but he's clearly still depressed and he's clearly still struggling and you just see that when he's in the room and he's clinging to all the old things his son used to have right it's like his idea of what grief is is a very practical and a very cold idea it's like it's reality it's like his son is gone and he's never coming back and all he has to remember him by are these trophies and these empty things right Mm -hmm. and so uh but the thing is like genie tries you know there's she tries to like expand his view of what grief is, but that's what he's closed off to. And that's what I think is so interesting is what really makes the series for me is when he sees his dead son. Yes. And mm-hmm. I was texting you about this last night cause I was yeah. working on this essay. And so, it's like, is his is that actually the spirit of Derek, or was it a dream, or was it a manifestation of the monster? Who, and we couldn't, and we were kind of going back and forth on it, being like, well, it works either way. Well, yeah, and the you thing know. is, it's ambiguous on purpose. Yeah. But I was talking to Allison Shoemaker, who former friend of the pod, and uh, also was former like, friend. Well, friend of the <laughs> friend pod. of the pod, friend yeah. The pod. But she was a former <laughs> contributor, but hasn't been on in a while. Yeah, and yeah. so, uh, but she was recapping the Outsider for the AV Club, so I was asking her about it too and she firmly believes that uh it was el cuco who brought that because she's yeah. like well if because if he lets go of his grief then he'll let go of this investigation mm-hmm. because that's another thing too is that ralph's, ralph's grief is what like in the book his decision to arrest terry at the ball game is because he's so disgusted by the crime yeah. and angry about mm-hmm. the crime and the fact that terry had been around his son but his son's still alive what it motivates like i wrote about this in my piece like what's so intense about the series is that when he arrests terry and he wants to punish terry it's not just because he's disgusted by this crime. It's that he he's rebelling against the very concept that children die at all because he knows what it's like to lose a child and the brutality of this child dying. He knows that grief. And so he wants to punish Terry just because and because his kid died from cancer. It's like, you know, that he got killed mm-hmm. by this faceless, nameless, uh, uh, careless thing. Yeah. And uh, that's what he wants to punish. But. And so that colors that decision and that that sort of like recklessness and the way he arrested Terry a lot more. And then so but then seeing Derek like it doesn't matter whether or not it was the monster or not because exactly. well, because yeah. it starts to color it, it it's that moment where I think it triggers and he tries to articulate it in a way but he can't until he actually comes face to face with El Cuco in the cave and then he sees his dead son and Ollie Peterson the kid who he shot who shot Terry mm-hmm. he sees them in the cave at the end yeah. because that's the signal that like El Cuco's not dead and it's still feeding off his grief exactly. as well yeah. and so when he sees that he has to go back and then at the end he's able to say uh, to his wife you know I had this dream I saw Derek he told me to let it go and and Jeannie laughs and she's just like, of course we're not going to let it go. That's not how this goes. Mm -hmm. But then he, but then, but the thing is he, he uses the phrase like, like it all cracked open. And, and then she mentions this idea. He's like, maybe next time it'll actually be Derek. And she's like, maybe we'll fucking see him in heaven. You know, it's stupid. But the idea is that 
like now he understand he can see grief in a larger palette. yeah i mean the, and, the personification mm-hmm. and the use of of el cuco's manifestations within ralph's own you know tortured you know is this real or is this yeah. not real is a genius genius like device that price is able to put in here which is as you're saying is absolutely what upgrades this from the book yeah um, absolutely and it, it, it's one of those things that when you find it in adaptation, it's impossible really to look back because it's such a lesser than object now. Right. You know, like when you go back to this original mm-hmm. story, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be, cause it's almost like this character has so much more potential. Right. And then to actually, you know, go back and just see this kind of like boilerplate character, as you been saying, I, I think, you know, looking back in, in, in hindsight with the whole series, I mean like Ralph's arc is arguably the more grounded, more, um, uh, Pricean uh, construct of the entire series, yeah. um, e- even though it has nothing really to do with crime, so to speak. You mm-hmm. know, it has to do more of just like it's that like eternal id of like, you know, well, my son's dead, and his death says more about me than this case, the people around me, or anything else. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to find myself while trying to wrestle with these and demons. That's very, and I, it's great. I, like, I don't know Price. I know a handful of his works, but yeah. from what I do know, it's a lot about people coming to hard fought realizations, you know, mm-hmm. about themselves. Like the end of Lush Life, uh, which is a great novel of his, has this really beautiful moment where this character just sort of fr- finds freedom by, you know, giving up everything that he thought meant everything yeah. to him. And it's like, but it's a really hard fought battle, but it's a really moving thing once you get there. Oh, and he gets at that a little bit with the Night of too, with Totoro's character. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know? he's dealing with his own, you know, I mean, obviously his own ailments that, gives me the heebie-jeebies to actually revisit it now um but uh you know also with his own family mm-hmm. and that family is such a it's such a subplot but it's such an important subplot right. and that subplot informs everything about his character which by proxy informs all the other like his own actions towards the other characters and how his actions are actually going to influence the other characters yeah. and he does the same thing with ralph here yeah um you know, I do wish we could have gotten a little bit more of that type type of death with uh, Holly. Yeah. Um, because I feel like as much as we do get an expanded version of their arc, and again, mind you, I have not read Mr. Mercedes. I haven't read any of the other books that, that mm-hmm. she appears in. She doesn't appear in Mr. Mercedes, though. It's the second one, right? No, she's um, in all three. Oh, she's yeah. in all three of them? Okay. Well, yeah. I haven't read those, and I haven't, I've only watched the first season, um, but... I of this the adaptation, but I, so I don't really know exactly what her arc is specifically, but I imagine it has more depth than what we see in this show. Well, right? yeah, like, Jen, what do you think about like the the difference from Holly like in the books versus how she's portrayed here, like and her arc this season? Well, I think part of it is because she's just Cynthia Revo is amazing, and so she really brings that character to life, and that's part of why I was so kind of taken with her. Because on the outset, especially towards the later episodes, there's really not a whole lot of difference to what Holly's doing, other than she has a boyfriend. But I think um, she just was able to bring that character to life and make her a lot more interesting than she is in the books. Mm-hmm. But I loved the differences that they were like pulling out of her. I loved them. Um, showing her struggling with things. And I liked that um, the relationship she had with Ralph and that he was like an ally to her. And there's one point where she's saying he challenges her, but she feels more at home with him. I can't remember exactly how she worded it, but I think what the reason for that is Ralph is looking at her like and taking her seriously. And I Mm -hmm. think that's something that is not 
um, the rest of the quartet. I think they like they like her and they respect her. But Ralph like looks at her and really listens, even when he doesn't agree. And that's one thing I really loved. And I just loved the way they treated her because she's such a unique character. And the relationship she had with um, I just called him boyfriend all the way through. I can't remember his name. <laughs> Andy, um, right? <laughs> Andy, yeah. Is it Andy, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I loved how respectful that was, and how he was never like complaining that she wouldn't like be more like physical, and mm-hmm. it's just it was so supportive, and I loved seeing how everybody kind of just coddled, coddled's the wrong word, but like supported her and really cared about her. But I think in the beginning they were pulling some things out of her character, like they showed her in an MRI machine at one point. And she was talking about her fa- her parents, and then that just disappeared. And I was so yeah. excited to see more of that. And and like what we were talking about, Ralph's arc <clears throat> and his grief. And I wanted to see that with Glory. Yeah. And I wanted more of that, more with Holly, more with Glory, more with Jeannie. We see a little bit of it with Jeannie, um, but I feel like it was really focused on Ralph, and that's kind of what took me out a little bit because mm-hmm. I wanted more Glory. Yeah, it's really like the story is very much about like it starts out kind of being about that the sense that she is a pariah, like that whole family is a pariah, but Uh we don't and then but we don't really go beyond that. Yeah, it really kind of peaks with her coming back to real estate. Yeah, and and like it does feel like if there is a second season, which it seems like there's going to be, um, that it's kind of feels like her story's over, like the Maitland story yeah. is yeah. over. And it so, got that hug in the foyer, yeah. yeah, which is, which is too bad because, you know, it would be interesting to see her trying to rebuild after this because, you know, just right. because Bill Samuels like, or he has a different name in the series. His name is Bill Samuels and he's the DA. Um, uh, he, because he exonerates Terry and says that they acknowledge in the book, it's like, this does not mean that, people aren't going to treat her like shit the exactly. rest of her life. And that's a right. huge big yeah. bit of collateral damage that you only get inferred in this, in the series. Yeah. End here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they had, into, they had set up that there was a ripple effect through the families mm-hmm. because they were showing Heath's family and um, the female killers family um, and how that rippled and everybody in their family died. And when that episode happened, I got really scared for glory and her children. Mm-hmm. And I thought, they were going to be in some kind of danger and I don't want them to be in danger because I like them, but that was something that I was looking forward to seeing play out and it never did. That's an actual, that's a really interesting point. I never thought of it that way. I always thought of like, I always thought of, uh, you know, the way that uh, the Peterson family crumbles and, and it ripples Mm -hmm. throughout that family. But it's true because the other, like the other people that El Cuco got, uh, their fam, their the the killers' families all suffered as well. Yeah, but I, I and here's the thing, I've because I've, I've thought about this a lot because I expected uh, also for something to happen, like mm-hmm. a, you know, yeah. some sort of <laughs> more tragedy that's going to hit them. Yeah. But I wonder if it's because the you know the the authorities that were working on their case actually were on the trail of El Cuco that mm. that's why those those events he didn't carry out. yeah well in the know? book there is a the the monster does sort of acknowledge that he made a mistake yeah. with terry that he shouldn't have done mm. terry because terry had too many alibis and like he was too uh respected in the community like there was he like was said something like that right. yeah it was well and that's i mean and this ties in I've, i talk about this a lot on the pod and it's something it's a bigger idea i want to write about but the idea that all of king's uh, monsters and villains belong to crumbling institutions yeah or they're mm-hmm. they're they're weak like they're able to be bested because they're in a weak state and that happens in the outsider where basically uh because um 
because El Cuco like kind of fucked up with Terry and it needs to keep projecting itself mm-hmm. to tell Jeannie and to tell the kids like not to fuck with him. Uh, and then he has to travel to Texas. Like he says in the book, he's just like, he's like, I'm wearing myself out. Like I'm weak right now. Cause he's trying to transform, mm-hmm. but it's like that he, like the, I think there's like, mo- like four months between all the killings, like in the, um, in the book. And it's like, it needs that time to rebuild and they catch it in that process of rebuilding, which is why they're able to defeat it. You know? Um, but like, but you know, like in this series, the actual process of defeat is kind of underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I mean, in 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 some way, you can argue that's kind of cool because yeah. it doesn't go mm-hmm. down like some fucking the Marvel ritual of Chud universe. Yeah, like or yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the ritual of Chud, where it's this elaborate thing. Like in a way, in hindsight, I kind of wish that it was afforded this type of ending, where it wasn't so elaborate. And I mean, because that's say what you will about chapter two, but. At least they try to capture the sort of epic heights that that fucking ending has. Because I love it's the insane of two. Like I didn't like, love that movie, but the ending. I thought the ending was really is good. at least tries to get yeah. that 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 itch because it's like it is so insane. Like yeah. when we talked to Tommy mm-hmm. Lee Wallace on the podcast, that was the first thing he said. He was, was like, "I mean, for Christ's sake, like, does anyone understand what's going on in the ending <laughs> or something like that to that effect?" <laughs> and it's true. Like I mean, I feel like one of the the the, the pitfalls that King always gets into is that. Because maybe it's because he he he's heard so many people talk about his endings that he feels like he has to kind of go for the gold at every time. But and I like the ones that just kind of fizzle out. Like Pet Cemetery has one of the greatest endings, and like yes, it gets crazy towards the end. But the very very end of that book is not crazy. It's very quiet. Right. It's very like there's a solemnity yeah, to it. The bad guy doesn't need to be defeated. Exactly. In that. Well, yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Is like the bad guy wins in yeah. Pet Cemetery, which is why it has the best yeah. ending. Yeah. It's like the trouble with King is he doesn't know how to vanquish villains because he creates such great villains that, uh, that, you know, it's, they can't be beaten that easy. So he either has to, uh, undercut it by having them be defeated very easily as in the outsider. And as in, well, I don't want to spoil other books, but, um, (laughs) or like, I guess like even under the dome, which has like a really kind of, Oh, it has one of the worst, like the ending sucks in that, but but, it's, uh, but then you have like needful things and it that, and that have these, elaborate like I, yeah. magical endings yeah. but the thing is nobody can really articulate what's going on at the end of needful no. things either because it's like what the fuck like yeah. like everybody and <laughs> yeah. that's why they totally redid it in the movie it's like a kid with crayons and then like the, you know the kid brings you the drawing and you're like whoa cool but in the same way that people like, say what the fuck is the ritual of chud it's like what's what the fuck's the ending of needful things it's like i think this right. is where king struggles is he's so good at creating malevolent entities and villains that the question of how they're defeated is is like well he leans on comic book tropes because look what happens at the end of most of these endings they come back yeah you know well yeah like for the sometimes. most part i mean like yeah. needful things do, yeah sometimes they come back um <laughs> but yeah like, yeah to but i i yeah i i, I don't know i i think that i prefer more of these endings but as we said before like this probably isn't the ending so well, what is, well, yeah. Do we want to? Yeah, well, I mean, might there, as well. I guess like, like, is there any other things that you really liked or really didn't like that you feel like we didn't get a chance to talk about? Well, Jen, what do you? Because I mean, Jen's been doing episode by episode reca- video recaps. Um, yeah. So you yeah. know this really well. Well, I do. Yeah, I was looking over all my outlines before. Um, yeah, there were some things I liked, but before that, I want to say like I think one of the through lines of King's work is going back to like Salem's Lot, where he's talking about the capital evil. And the lowercase e evil, where I feel like he thinks like when there's these big villains, lots of times there's nothing behind the curtain. And we see that with so many of his villains. I don't want to spoil, but um, 
I think that's just hard to get across sometimes. And so that's what leaves us underwhelmed is that, oh, it was nothing. Why were we so scared of this thing? And I think that's really what he's trying to say about evil in general. But if you're not really bought in or you're not exactly sure that he's doing that, it can lead to like, oh, that it was just a clown that crumpled down and now I can stomp on it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I really liked the ending of chapter two, but I can understand being overwhelmed. And just like El Cuco, like, oh, we could just, could have just smashed him with a rock, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. And that's one of the things I love about Stephen King, but I think, I don't always think he pulls it off. Yeah. Um, but when I think about the things that I like, um, loved, I loved all of the acting. I thought every single person in this was bringing their A game and it was amazing. And one of the things that I liked a lot was the creature design for El Cuco or lack thereof. Because when I was re- reading the book, I just kept picturing pumpkin in him <laughs> because I think he talks about, <laughs> doesn't he mention pumpkins at some point? Um, I think he, he does, actually. If he does, maybe, I don't remember, yeah. but yeah. No, he does. Or maybe, like, there's a cantaloupe or something, but I just kept picturing Oh, the cantaloupe is like, a big part of the, of the book, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, and I don't, maybe that's just what's in my brain. I'm not always the most visual reader, um, <laughs> but I loved how minimal they were with showing us the monster, um, especially in the beginning, but then in the end, we really don't see him until that very last scene in the cave, and there's this one scene where... I think it's in the end of the ninth episode where we finally see his face, but it's like just his eye and he's looking back and it just gave me the creeps because it was so like malevolent looking. And so I think they did a really good job of really restraining the way they designed that character, Um, especially because like he looks just like, I can't remember his name. I called him Camp Must all the time, but he, oh, Claude, that's right. He looks just like Claude. And Claude's not a particularly scary looking person. No, no. So I think if they had leaned into um, showing us, if, if it had been more like a dark half situation, mm. I think it would have turned really goofy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, because I, I, I'm a little mixed on the ending too, because I, I, like in sense of, I like that they, the little things that you get of El Cuco in there are awesome. But at the same mm. time, you are just watching Claude. Um, so yeah. that when right. they get to the cave, Again, I didn't want a Bond villain moment where it's just like, well, I've been down here and you can't the, fire a weapon. It's kind of cringy. Like, like, I like the book overall, but like when they get the cave, Elku is just like, like, let me explain. My yeah. Plan. And I didn't want that. But right. I also wanted maybe just because he's so creepy with the hoodie on in those first few episodes yeah. that I was hoping that we'd get just a little bit more of that. Like, I mean, I, I just kept visualizing when when I knew that the caves were going to be coming into play. Um, when they were teasing him in the few episodes beforehand, I just kept imagining like this, like lone figure, like sauntering around in the cave, and it like gave me the the, the heebie-jeebies about it. And like, I didn't get really creeped out by it by the end of this. Mm-hmm. In fact, the only thing mm-hmm. that really ultimately creeped me out was just seeing like the two, like the the mirror image. And that's the something that I've been that's just stuck with me because it's so eerie just having that like projection right there. That's mm-hmm. just and they're just staring at him, and like the fact that it could feed into your soul. Um, almost like the the Wendigo victims in Pet Cemetery yeah. uh, is 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 really frightening. Yeah. Um, because you know we prize our we pri- we take pride in our memories and we take um, you know it's something that, it's stuff that we lock away to have something that infiltrate that and be able to unlock it and just use it to their advantage is really frightening. And so that mm-hmm. in this sense, I was more frightened by that than anything else that happened there. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I I guess my last thing I'll say is. Well, there's two things is one, the scariest stuff to me was 
the pricey and stuff, which was the prison shit at the beginning. Oh, totally. Like, mm-hmm. like just mm-hmm. when the, he's falling asleep in the beginning. Like, yeah. At the end of that one well, episode. even just like it's you know, I mean, we we didn't talk to we didn't get a chance to talk about it much, but we hinted at it in the last episode, which is like when Jack sees his mother and she like flies yeah. out and tussles with him, which is something that <laughs> didn't awful. get that, teased out. Thank God. That was- yeah. It's insane. It was weird, and it did not suit the villain at all. No. Like it was, it's mm. a really cringy bad moment in in the series. But uh, it didn't. It ended up not derailing because they leaned away from that stuff in they the did, later yeah. episodes. And it's just such a bizarre choice. But um, but I'll say that like um, like Terry getting booked in prison. Oh, terrifying! The, the people saying that they're going to kill him because Price is so mm-hmm. good. Price understands the the sort of the sterile cold qualities of prison yeah. and the sort of like the com- like to be a pariah within prison, how scary that is. And that to me was the scary, like literally the scariest stuff in this series. Although yeah. that's not to say the horror didn't work. I, there were several moments of horror that worked for me, but that was the step that really got me. But I'll just say that the other thing that I think is a really big improvement on the book. Um, I, one is the love story. I really loved it. I didn't think I would when it first happened, but mm-hmm. yeah, the, Great acting, great writing, understated. It was, uh, I genuinely was moved by it. It was totally earned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is Jack, uh, Jack is much more interesting in the series than he is in the book. Oh, really? Yeah. And like, I really, A, I really like the actor, Mark Menchaca, who plays him. He's on Ozark in the first season and uh, he's in a lot of stuff. He's just, he's an excellent actor. And that character in the book is like just despicable, like just a piece of shit, you know, like, like mm-hmm. uh there is really nothing redeemable about him and so when he gets corrupted uh it's you know it's kind of expected and he's a bully yeah. and he's mean and then when he shoots everyone at the end it's like well uh, the well the the rattler that's in the um series that that he has to well it does bite him yeah it yeah, does yeah like it gets him even worse in the book and then he and then he, he has the same thing where he like shambles down using his gun as a as um as a crutch but the big difference is that in the book ralph kills him and shoots him whereas here he shoots himself which makes Mm -hmm. so much more sense because they've actually like made pains to show that he was uh you know like he was a he was a decent person who was corrupted by his demons before el cuco ever got Mm -hmm. to him and that he still struggled he didn't want to kill these people. yeah he did not want to do it and they showed that struggle whereas in the book like he's thriving on it because he hates ralph so he like wants to kill ralph you know and so uh here he's clearly struggling with it and i think he portrayed that really well uh just the actor elevated it the writing elevated it giving him a few more relationships within the department uh was just Mm -hmm. just giving him that little bit was enough to really elevate that character and um and i'll just say that i enjoyed that journey i don't think we needed his mom to show up and beat him up i know (laughs) but i guess that's the the tough thing when you are trying to tease out that arc like the thing is his the way el cuco uses his mother in the book is that his mother died of cancer yeah and el cuco basically says when i touched your neck like i gave you cancer and i'll only heal Mm -hmm. you if you help me and uh and so it's like so he remembers his mother dying. It's a very pet cemetery kind of thing, like yeah. with uh, Zelda. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. he remembers her dying and how sick she was, and that scares him. And that's pretty much the extent of it. Here, I mean, I wrote about this on AV Club. Like, uh, the actor's so good that without it, it, all he had to say was like, "Why did he have to send you?" Which makes me think that he was abused by his mother. Yeah, uh, which I thought was kind of a nice touch. I just wish she didn't uh-huh. say, "Hey, you Jackie boy," and then I know it, well, yeah. it becomes it chapter two. Like, yeah, with, it was it chapter two. It was it, it's you know. it's bizarre, and so that. 
hurt it, but overall, and I thought that kind of him kidnapping Holly, uh, that felt like spinning wheels to me. Well, exactly, because yeah. nothing really happens. Nothing really happens. I mean, we get to see yeah. kind of like Holly be, you know, the ingenuity of Holly yeah. of being able to kind of evade the situation. But at the same time, it's like, oh, great. Thanks for wasting a cliffhanger and also another episode. Yeah. I mean, that... Based on because you know a couple of days ago we asked a lot of our constant listeners what you know they thought about the the show, and majority of them all said it should have been two episodes shorter. Yeah, I could see two episodes mm-hmm. shorter. Yeah, I could see that. It's a uh, that's when it lost steam for me is when she left the the gas station. Yep, yeah. that is when the pressure came off. Yeah, that's when they stopped sending because us it, screeners too. Well, it, it, and it was yeah. I mean, it, it felt <laughs> it as is. if the yeah. the stakes had just been sucked out. Yeah, because even when they're yep. at the house of Claude's brother, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very cute episode where everyone gets to get together and they make little jokes and it becomes, you know, Cotet. Indiana Jones and the yeah. kingdom of the crystal skull. Um, <laughs> where you just have like eight, eight people on this adventure together at this point. Um, but, which was another issue I had. Cause I think I, I'm always less is more for me. I don't need like a ton of people. Involved. Yeah. It's weird in the book too, that like Howard comes along. You're like, it's Oh, like, who's making sandwiches there? this morning? You I know. know it's like, uh, <laughs> you put the coffee on. Like, you know, I just expected that type of shit if, if it wasn't Richard Price doing it, but like, um, Oh, I'll go get the, you know, the egg McMuffins. Um, you know, but so, but there were a lot of really, you know, beautiful moments in that, in that episode. Um, but it also felt it never screamed loudest that oh my god they are spinning wheels yeah like this is they're they're building character but i guess for the payoff at the end when some of them die but like it, nothing really truly um the levels of the, the level of stakes just kept subsiding more and more especially when he goes to the fair the the you know the renaissance fair mm-hmm. or whatever it is um and like fails miserably. There's like tons of people all around him. Can't even evade it quietly. It just felt like what a doofus of a villain. <laughs> like this. Well, guy, you know? I mean, that's the thing is in the book they sort of that scene's not in there. But yeah. I guess that's what I like about the book is that there is the implication that they have caught El Cuco at a weak moment, mm-hmm. and that's you know. Whereas here they mm-hmm. don't lean into that as much, no. and I think that that is an important part of the book because you like King's villains are flawed, but they're rarely stupid. You know, yeah. So. Well, it's like it, yeah. it, for me, it reminded me of um, the whole pacing of the season. This is going to be a very esoteric example, but <laughs> it reminded me of when I used to go uh, boating back in uh, home from Miami. And when we were growing up, we'd have this little Boston whaler and we'd have a little tank of gas and we'd go crazy, go off and go, go nuts through the canals and through the intercoastal. And then towards the end of the day, we'd realize, oh shit, we only have a little bit of gas. So let's not gun it. Let's not go to, let's try to coast as much as possible. And then at the end, you know, when we want to get home, when we actually get back into the canals, we can kind of use the engine a little bit more and kind of mm-hmm. gas it a little bit. And that's literally what the pacing felt like with here. It was like, it went nuts, went crazy. And then all of a sudden you kind of had to slow down for that last third and be able to use it in short bursts. It's funny though, because some end. people that like, I've talked to, they thought the first couple episodes were like hyper boring. I know, yeah. which is crazy to me. But I think what? that, I think that, you know, it's like different strokes. I mean, pe- some people probably saw that scene with, um, with the mother beating him up and was like, well, that's what I want the show to be, which I get. I mean, it's just not that show. And so, um, but yeah, so I, I think we've, I think that's, we've unpacked it pretty good. Let's talk about where a potential season two going. Yeah. (laughs) So when they, 
when it was initially announced as a limited series, we've yeah. talked about this in the pod, but I'll just reiterate. It was initially announced as a limited series, um, and then HBO started asking me to stop saying limited series, and they want they were just saying call it a series. So I was like, okay. And um, so I was thinking if they were going to do another season, um, then I thought it would be If It Bleeds, which is the new book that's coming out and that has Holly Gibney and Ralph in it. Which you have in your hands. I do. Well, in, well not in my hand, on my dresser at home. Yeah. Um, I still haven't started it. but And that's a collection of novellas. And so I don't think that what's in that story is a continue is like a direct continuation of the El Cuco myth because uh but I have not read it yet so but the implication that I have from what I've read is not is that it's not that yeah whereas here it very much seems like we're getting that that creature is coming back well because if you by the way if you didn't if you didn't stick around for the credits of the final episode of the outsider yeah Nick Fury steps in um. <laughs> pause the episode go watch the the final tag and then come back um so although it happens pretty quick although the thing is i, t- I didn't even t- i didn't even pick up on the scratch thing um well we'll oh, talk really? we'll talk about that but it was just funny because no. i i only i turn stuff off immediately when it hits the credits because well, yeah. i'm just i'm bad like, I, I literally almost missed the hopper uh tease at the end i did miss the hopper tease which you're probably better off because the the tease at the end is kind of stupid but um, i don't know i liked it i mean it works in the we don't need to go down well well, i'll just say that like i missed it initially somebody had to tell me to go back and watch that and you probably felt far more emotional based on the ending of that that season but i'll say that uh here (laughs) it happens pretty quickly so but justin had texted me and said oh stick around yeah that's what he had credits and so i did and then um so we basically see Holly. She's like in a, she's in her home, I assume, or a hotel room. And she's staring in the mirror. And then she has sort of like a jump scare moment where you see Jack in the mirror. Yeah. And then she sits, gets on her bed and she plays music and you see a scratch down her uh, arm and scratches, as we know, is how El Cuco transfers mm-hmm. himself from one to the other. And, but the thing about her listening to music and Allison pointed this out to me, well, she mentioned it in her review. Mm-hmm. I didn't even catch this. And I, but then I remembered she says earlier in the season that she does not listen to music, yeah. that she yep. can name chart hits, but she doesn't mm-hmm. listen to music. And then she is listening to music. And what she's listening to is a song that was featured in an earlier episode that was apparently I, I don't remember this, but Allison said it was like a song that was important to Ralph's mother. And so it's related oh. to Ralph in some way. So the song she's listening to is also important. And is that the one he was listening to, like, on the way to the hospital or, or the day his son was born or something? Oh, yeah, yeah that might be that. it. Yeah. That might I be didn't it. touch that. Yeah. Mm. And so that's... Well, let's extrapolate that a little bit then. What the hell does that mean? Because does it mean El Cuco's like, all right, I'm still not over Ralph. I got to get revenge. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing research that... on Ralph. <laughs> Well, because there's like, also this, there's another murder too. There has been another murder yeah. um, in like episode nine, which they barely talk about, but it seems like it was just as brutal as the Frankie Peterson one. So I guess, and they also talk about whether or not there's another El Cuco. So maybe this is another one yeah. and maybe it got Holly somewhere along the way, because if this is somebody acting out of character for Holly, that would mean that El Cuco or like, next cuckoo has already become holly you know well and then there's a big part where she says who's terry who's terry which is creepy that's what a lot of people are talking about do you remember that jen yeah i do but i didn't really think i just thought it was weird at the time and i didn't think about it i did the same thing where it's like when did that happen 
it's so a, like when would the turning point be? Uh, well, it's she says that like after they've after Ralph has first like before they they leave the cave, but then yeah. Ralph goes back. It's like after mm-hmm. they first sort of take him down, and uh, he's been and then like he goes impaled. back. Ralph goes back, but it's before like she takes Claude out, and it's mm-hmm. like right before she leaves the cave. She says, "Who's Terry?" and it's bizarre because but you're immediately taken away from it because yeah, of the they don't he, linger the vision on it. he has. And so I had that moment where I heard that, and then I was like, "Wait, what?" But then I was right. like, I, in my mind, it was like, "Well, they'll explain that." And then, <laughs> uh, and then the show kept going, and then they never explained it. So it's yeah. it's like it's interesting and weird, and I have no idea why that would also be something that. El Cuco would do if she is now El Cuco yeah. or next Cuco. Next Cuco. Next Cuco Well, here's a question then. So, like, I mean, talk about an awful character to to do this to because yes. you know, she it's usually comes in with like wild theories. <laughs> so imagine and she, you know, like I imagine based the the mannerisms that El Cuco has aren't too dissimilar to the sort of stoic behavior that holly has yeah and so i feel like she could he could easily or it could easily uh slither its way uh you know through the you know the ranks of wherever she's gonna go next um because we know that you know she's a private eye so she could just go to another department and ralph could literally just be an ancillary character Um, but if the question is like but if if ralph's song is on but if she's supposed to be like if this new version of holly is supposed to be like el cuco then or bel cuco where is (laughs) the real holly i know know? and like so i I don't know i i feel like i i don't fully buy that that's not holly because we do see a lot of like moments with her like throughout the rest of it moment with ralph Yeah. yeah So we see those moments, and uh, which is something that, based on what we know about El Cuco, is not capable of those. Because when he was Terry, he was very impersonable, you know? And it's like he wasn't... Everybody said he wasn't acting like Terry, you know? So yeah. I do agree that, like, there's the stoicism to Holly, and there's, like, uh, an awkwardness to Holly, like, uh, that could lend itself to that. Mm-hmm. But I don't fully buy that like she this is a fully transformed or I, I don't version. either. And and yeah. she's yeah. so she's too alarmed at the vision yeah. for me to believe that it would have been like right. a cuckoo or something like that. Which is why she checks her neck. Yeah. Because she mm. thinks that she might be like under the spell like um like Jack was. Yeah. But I mean I I don't know. I don't I don't know where they would go with this because if Holly is in fact, you know, quote unquote um infected or whatever we want to call it or turned like who the fuck's gonna be the main character of the next season? Ben Mendelsohn again? Like maybe it seems two Hollies, two, two Hollies. <laughs> that could be great. Yeah, but the two well, Hollies. There. But the thing is, like, if you get Ben Mendelsohn, you use Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, of course. Like, and it's same with Cynthia Revo, dude. She was just up for an Oscar. Like, that's the thing that makes mm-hmm. me think that, like, they wanted to pursue a second season because maybe Ben and and Cynthia were like, yeah, we could do another season, or like the schedule's open, we yeah, can do that. I, I'd, like, I'd, it makes... I'd, I'd do another season. <laughs> Well, he did, he's like Australian. He is. I'm just doing his Danny from Bloodline. Oh, um, I never saw Bloodline. Yeah, he's great. I heard the first season's great and then it falls apart. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it becomes pulp. Yeah. Um, but yeah, first season's great. If you need some more Mendelssohn, uh before I, this uh, second season. <laughs> that's that's your route. Go for but it. But no, I, uh, I do think it's interesting, though, that um, 
that they made this decision to do a second season. But the thing is, like, you're right, though, Jen. There is, like, a lot to explore because Holly's past is fascinating. And it's a lot more yeah. interesting than it is in the book. In the book, she's, like, the daughter of – she's, like, from a rich family. And she's uh, – they basically isolated her and um, kind of, like, exacerbated a lot of her social anxiety and, um, and you know, Asperger's-like issues. And, yeah. uh, and then she sort of stumbled into this idea of being – like, she just – that she discovered this intuitiveness about being, like, a private eye you know and she's not really Mm -hmm. a private eye in the book she's more of like like she works for a private investigation company but she's like the assistant to the detective so she's like (laughs) not a full like she can do it but you know and so in Mm -hmm. this she is kind of her own boss and she was born a savant and and she sort of like had these issues and they always knew something was wrong with her but they can't pinpoint it and Mm -hmm. and she's just found a way to put that stuff to use in an effective way which is to me a lot more interesting and yeah, I, uh, me so, too. so here's one question I have. If it was in fact something halfway through where they like were like, okay, well, we would be willing to do a second season. A lot of this stuff that we're talking about right now could have easily been added in in like a reshoot or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So There's I'm, a lot of it's flashback. Right. So I'm wondering how much of this was actually added on because this could have easily just ended. Mm. Maybe it was two episodes shorter and then they added all this other stuff. I know. Right. <laughs> But they added the wrong stuff. (laughs) But I guess that's the hope is that we could get more genie. We could get more of a Sablo, who I think is a great character. Um, Mm -hmm. We could get a few, a little bit more of these characters, or it could just totally uh, focus on uh, Holly. And then maybe Ralph's off the show. Maybe Mendelssohn ain't coming back, you know? So it's like, uh, because I feel like we're either going to get, Ralph's going to be a main character. He's not going to be on it, you know? And so, uh, so yeah, it's, I think it's really interesting. And I, I, I find myself more excited about the prospect of a second season than I initially thought I was going to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, talking it out makes me more excited for sure. Yeah. Cause I, I think too, because the ending too is a little underwhelming. It it makes me feel like, okay, well maybe they're setting us up for something more exciting in the second season. Um, you know, the who's and I was Terry thinking yeah. about that. Like now that we can binge and like, I watch multiple seasons. I feel like this is the arc where if I watched the first three seasons of this, I wouldn't have been disappointed at all. Right. Cause I could just go to the next one. You know? Right. Right. I do hope Maybe. that like at some point, um, this next season crosses over with CBS's Clarice. Um, and we get, you know, just Awful. another fictional character to come. No, I'm just joking. Wait, I, is that, <laughs> wait, is that, that's actually that has that show started? It, that's going to be like next year. Or okay. Like that. Did but, they cast Clarice yet? Yeah, they have. Who um, is it? I don't know who it is, oh, okay. but she looks, she oh. looks like the Jody part. Foster because it's supposed to, it's a sequel to silence of the lambs. Yeah. It's Jody Foster in, in Irishman technology. <laughs> oh, you mean um, it's Hannibal? It's Hannibal. Yeah. Um, I, I, exactly. Like, I guess they're, it's going to be what happens before Hannibal. Um, cause there's a lot of material there. I don't know. We don't need to go on that tangent because I was just making a dumb joke, but <laughs> I do, I do think that if you are going to make another season, you bring back Holly, you bring back Ralph, I because this takes place in King's Dominion, you could try to do something with like you know and play within the the King universe a little bit more. Yeah, you know? I mean it, that starts to make me think of Castle Rock, you know. I know, but not yeah. to that degree, but like just enough where you could kind of like hint at it. <laughs> Annie Wilkes shows up. I want Annie. Wil- <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I, get, bring back the great Lizzie Kaplan, <laughs> who absolutely defined the Annie Wilkes role. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I love Lizzie Kaplan, but God, that was a garbage season. Um, yeah, so I, I ultimately, uh, should we nose it? Uh, yeah, let's nose it. Um, uh, why don't you start? Okay, I am going to give it, uh, I'll give it 
uh, noses. Right. Uh, no, I'll give it a four. I want to okay. give it a four. Four is fo- a solid because, I mean, look, like we've been talking about, those performances are just stellar. Uh, the direction, for the most part, um, with the exception of maybe the last few episodes, were was riveting. Um, uh, Price was pretty much took this on as, uh, you know, upon his own shoulders, with the exception of two writers, I believe. Um, well, it's Lahane. Lahane, and, and there's one other writer. There, the remember. writer who wrote the episode with Hey, uh, ja- hey Jackie yeah. was a woman who's written on Stranger Things. That's yeah, so And I'm that's where I think the... I love Stranger Things, hey, but I think that's where... Stranger the, Things, a lot of weird things happen in Hawkins, <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be in this small town. I think there was one other writer, too. I just can't remember who it but was. He, but you know, he put so much of it on, you know, on his shoulders, and I think for the most part, anytime you get a King adaptation that elevates the source material that's a win it's a win so Mm -hmm. um and the fact that something that should have been so close-ended is now open and there's it's permeable enough for me to actually say yeah give me another season that's great i want to see where it goes and i you know i might regret that after you know the first episode of the next season but even if just seeing these actors keep playing together that would be fun for me because i really Mm -hmm. like them all i i I, this is a solid four noser for me i'm a i I think this is uh, uh it elevates the book it's 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 an inspired adaptation, which is, you don't always get that. No. Like I, you know, if, if, if sort of uh Flanagan's whole thing is like, I'm honoring King like aggressively. Uh, it almost feels like price here. Like his, in, I think his intention was to honor King, but yeah. it was also to really, I'm, I'm the only word that's coming to mind is exploit. That's not the right word, but is like, they brought me on for a reason they want. Mm-hmm. And, he used his expertise to elevate this story and his skills as a writer to elevate the text and like, and like find those moments in the text that could be elevated because otherwise like story-wise and beat-wise, it's very reverent to the book. It's just that it doesn't feel like King a lot because the dialogue's been pared down so much and the story beats have been, um, al- like elongated in ways that feel more pricey in the Medu Kingian. Yeah. And that's really, I, it, it's a good thing ultimately, but to me, it's a really smart, like not natural pairing, but an inspired pairing. Exactly. And that only yeah. could work for this book. Like I don't see price doing any other King, No, but no. this was a, he was a perfect choice for it. And so I think that acting wise across the board, it's great. Directing was really good. Um, some really spooky stuff, some really, uh, you know, good dramatic moments, obviously some, you know, we've touched on some of the things that didn't quite work, but overall I think it was a success. So yeah, four noses uh, out of five for me. How about you, Jen? Um, Okay. So I think I'm going to give the first half of the season, I'm going to give five noses. Um, It was so refreshing to see. I'm not, I'm not crazy about King's more crime um, leaning stuff. I don't love the Hodges trilogy. So I was so yeah. excited to see it and I was loving it. So first half I'm giving five second half. I'm giving three noses because of just a lot of what we talked about. I feel like it just deflated. And so that's going to average out to four. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. wise noses. <laughs> Bright red. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I actually like that split too. Cause I think that's, that's pretty much where I would uh, line up on there. Yeah. I mean, I just keep thinking about that. Those scenes and, in Terry's house where like the kid would see something and mm-hmm. oh God, the mm-hmm. dread that you'd feel from those scenes were just terrifying. Yeah. 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 Like far more mm-hmm. terrifying than most of the stuff that we've seen adapted from King in recent memory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause less is more. Yeah. Agreed. Well, here's a question. Second season, of the outsider, are you more excited for that than 
Castle Rock season three. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did I mean after yeah, after absolutely. season two of Castle Rock? Yeah, yeah. How about uh, another round of Mr. Mercedes if it happens again? Uh, you, are you going to ask about the stand or not? I'm going to ask about the stand. Yeah, uh, Mr. Mercedes, <laughs> I I just haven't. I'm I have not. I'm not caught yeah. up. So, I, I, all right. So, are you? Would you be more excited for Outsider season two than uh, Lacey story? Or Lacey um, story? No, I I'm very Outsider. excited for Lacey story. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, okay, but then this... I don't love that book. Oh yeah, Ooh. interesting. No, that, there's a can opener part that I think ruins the whole book for me. Oh, see, I haven't read it in years, so I'd have to revisit it to remember that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I actually, I'm dying to read that one, but um, just because I know Justin really li- likes that one a lot, but um, mm-hmm. I'm really excited for that one just because I love Abram. What everything that Abrams touches uh, for King turns out fairly well with the exception of obviously castle rock with that stuff but i don't really <laughs> see i'm a little nervous that king is writing all this wrote all yeah scripts. and that and that's yeah. what's kind of nervous because like w- the last screenplay that he wrote that was really truly compelling is what pet cemetery like, i mean I, I can't maybe? remember what else like, he's written wow yeah the stand i guess because but even then that's flawed but it's it's a good adaptation yeah of the stand. yeah mm-hmm. But the pet cemeteries, we're, the thing is, like, anyone else I talk to does not like the 1990 pet cemetery movie, but <laughs> everyone on this podcast likes it. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to go all the way out to fucking, you know, Maine. That'd be fun. To that screening that's happening this September. See our um, socials for that. I, well, Twitter I, I, specifically. Yeah, like we we shared a big thing about that, and like, so I guess they're going to be doing some location thing. I saw um, one of our listeners was going to go. Yeah, I want to update. I'm going to try my best to go out there, but I, I I'm a huge fan of 89 Pet Cemetery, so I'm going to hope that King flexes that muscle. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. he also wrote, I believe, um, the Shining miniseries. He wrote the Shining cool. miniseries, yeah. which was mm-hmm. awful, and I want to say he did. Um, did he do Desperation? Um, if or... he did, I don't remember. I haven't seen that since I was a kid. I don't know. Either way, excited for that. I guess the biggest question is now with, you know, to bookend this stuff with the Corona, <laughs> what do you, what, what are your thoughts on, 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 is your level of excitement going higher now for the stand? Because personally it is for me. I, I, I almost wish that this miniseries was dropping like right now. It's funny. James Marsden did an interview and he said, oh, we're not releasing it anytime soon. We're not trying to capitalize on this at all, you know? And, uh, mm. and he said, it's really surreal. Cause I think they're still filming some stuff. So they he's are, like, yeah. yeah, he's like still, filming within this is really odd and and kind of eerie and so i don't know i mean if i'm gonna say like i can't wait for the stand mini mini series mm-hmm. to play but at the same time like i am so ready to be disappointed but i'm going in with an open mind that i want it to be good i'm like really stoked but all signs all my all my like danger danger meters are 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 clicking on this one well, as we've talked about. I, I thought it would be a good episode f- because we haven't really seen much. Uh, there's not much of a litmus test for Josh Boone, so we should go see the New Mutants. And see. Oh, I want to see them because I do want to see yeah, New Mutants, and I, I love the X Men universe. But um, I want to see it and just see, like maybe we could talk about like what strengths in that possibly apply to the stand i don't know i just want something on it jen what what are your thoughts on the stand would you want to watch it right now absolutely i would want to watch it right now every second of it but i almost can't let myself be excited about it or really even commit to it existing because i love that book so much and it's like every time there's a new terminator sequel i just like kind of have to like temper my expectations and just like kind of get ready but i mean i'm liking what i'm seeing but i just i can't i would rather watch the outsider now because the stakes for me are lower for that yeah 
Oh, so speaking of Terminator, not to go too much on a tangent because I know T two is like one of your, is, is is your favorite movie. It's my favorite movie. Yeah, it's um, perfect cinema. <laughs> did you watch Dark Fate? I have not watched Dark Fate. It's kind of one of those things. Like I'm I'm nervous to watch it, especially because Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger are back. Yeah. So yeah, it it came out like I you know I've got kids and I got to get a babysitter when we go, <laughs> and it came out the same time like in the month I had to choose between it. And Dr. Sleep. And yeah. I couldn't not go see Dr. Sleep. So, yeah. 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 Well, I know that um, it should be available now, but I, I think you might be surprised. I, I went in with the lowest expectations. I'd be huge uh, Terminator head. And um, mm-hmm. I, because I, I love the first one, I love the second one, but um, I even have like a kind of a soft spot for three and even Salvation. But I hate oh, like Genesis, I thought was one of the worst films of all time. And, um, <laughs> I and it's, and, yeah, but the thing is, you could totally skip that. And like, I think not having seen Genesis will actually make you maybe appreciate Dark Fate a little bit. Anyway, um, that's my, I was just shocked by it because like Mackenzie uh, Davis and is really good. And, uh, anyway. But th- by the way, this episode sponsored by uh, Paramount Pictures, uh, Terminator Dark Fate. Uh, go get it. See what the the Terminator's it's, the Terminator's back, and so will you. What he's been up to? Yeah, see what he's been up to. Uh, anyway, but yeah, it started going a tangent on that. But um, oh no, I'll always talk about Terminator. <laughs> nice, nice. We should do a a, a mini on, on the, the Terminator films. I love them. Um, <laughs> that would be so weird. weird just a weird habit in there. Podcast. Like, what Stephen King references can you pull from this? Uh, well, Eddie Furlong. It'd be an in offshoot it. of Halloweenies. It could be Terminators. Oh, that would like go. that. Yeah. Well, uh, one last thing I wanted to say is that if you if you have been following our socials, you should be uh, Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram. Like uh, Randall was saying, uh, fresh content. Fresh content. We just shared. This was a huge revelation for me. Um, I follow a uh, uh, huge number one uh, worldwide horror fan, Ryan Turek, uh, on uh, Twitter, and um, he actually shared this image of a board game and. I was shocked because I literally am on the pulse for Stephen King news every second of the day. And somehow this went by me. Uh, but at Target right now, the same company who did the Jaws board game, which was catching my eye, um, they did one for The Shining. And it's based on, obviously, the Stanley Kubrick one. And I I, I ordered it. I, um, I have to actually go pick it up at Target. But um, very excited to see how this plays out. We're tr- we're gonna look at it and see what we can do with this. Yeah, but we'll do something. It's just exciting. It's just I was t- t- telling Sammy this morning, a girlfriend. It, it never in a million years, even five years ago, would I imagine the amount of merchandise for the fucking Shining at I this know, point. Right? It's mm-hmm. just so bizarre. So I don't know. Take a look. See if you can find it. Um, we need three, at least three players, and I'm the only one on this podcast that likes to play board games. Well, actually, that's not true. <laughs> Mac likes playing board games, too. Uh, Jen, do you like board games? I love board games. Oh, look. Yeah, we we I can do have, have three now. virtually control someone. <laughs> no, I will gladly play uh, for the pod. Okay, for you the pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be your proxy. Because you play board, you have to play board games. I have to play board games because my wife likes them. Yeah, so. so. Um, okay, well, this was fun. This was a Jen, blast. thanks for being on. It's always yeah. a pleasure. We'll see you again next week for Gerald's Game. We'll yeah. hope to see yeah. you, listener, next week for Gerald's Game. <laughs> it's going to be a great discussion. I can't wait. So, long days and, and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. Bye, y'all. Consequence Podcast Network.